Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers, and it's a perfect holiday gift. Wow, you read my mind. I was going to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> it's almost like we've been doing this for a while, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. On today's episode, we're going to handle our usual sort of announcements. We're going to go to the pub, and from there, things are going to go pear-shaped. Because <laughs> On the road, on the road. Yes, we are on the road again, and this time we are coming to you live from Washington, and specifically, where are we coming from? From Micro Homebrew in Kenmore, Washington. A great, beautiful store run by our good friend Tony Oshner. And uh, we got a chance to be there with Annie Johnson and a bunch of other people for a brew day and did a lot of recording. So you're going to hear about our day at Micro Homebrew. Yeah, we even brewed a brew in a bag batch there. So Yeah, we did. And Annie brewed the same thing on a Pico Z. So I'm going to be really curious to compare those two beers. The world famous now. Pilpazon. There you go. World famous, at least in your mind. That's right. So, that's what we're up to. But first... But first, we're going to take a break here and listen to some messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back, so please stick around. This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by the American Homebrewers Association, the largest community of homebrewing enthusiasts in the world. Founded in 1978 by Charlie Papazian, the AHA continues to promote Charlie's timeless advice. Relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. And by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Welcome back, everybody, and we're going to kick off by letting Drew tell you about a new episode of The Brew Files that's out. Yeah, if you paid attention last week, uh, we had a new episode. Brew Files 75 came out, and that was all about me doing a squashy saison at Transplants Brewing Company in Palmdale, California. Uh, and Transplants is known for wild and wacky stuff. All you have to do in order to get that sense is look at the logo that accompanies that episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no kidding, the, man. That's pretty wild. Yeah, the mighty uh, mighty Falcon's claws quashing a butternut squash, and <laughs> and you know it was a really really interesting brew day. They have a really great sense of fun there. Yeah, so sit down, you'll be able to learn that. And I also go through how I how I make the beer when I make it at home, and also what I really thought of the final product that we got to have at the 45th anniversary party, which was a great party, man. I had a wonderful time. It was a fresh celebration too. Awesome times. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. 
That's right. Another episode for that. I uh, also want to remind you that episode 108, coming up uh, about four weeks after this one, is an all Q&A episode, which uh, you guys really seem to like. So we're going to keep doing them. And uh, it's fun for us because we get to uh, learn things and make fools of ourselves. But uh, please get us your questions so that uh, we can get them into the episode. You can send them to questions at experimentalbrew.com and uh, we'll be on the show. Or you can also call 626-765-1AL, that's 1253, and uh, leave us a voicemail, send us a text message, and leave your questions that way. Just make sure to let us know who you are. But one way or the other, get those questions in. We'll take questions in all formats and all various uh, mediums. Hit us on Facebook, hit us on Twitter, hit us on Instagram. Send us a message by Passenger Pigeon. Maybe even Morse code. I used to know that when I was in Boy Scouts. There you go. If I record it, I can probably probably translate it. Now, Yeah, right. Now, don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA Amazon Brewers Friends or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is? It's Chat with Champs. Uh, we just love this. It's a great organization that helps out kids with cancer to uh, get them support and people to talk to. So please throw us a couple bucks and we'll pass it along to Chat with Champs because uh, kids having cancer is a terrible, terrible thing and we need to do what we can to help. Yeah, as I've said so eloquently before and said in front of the good portion of the AHA, F cancer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so I guess that about takes care of the announcements up front this time. So it's time to head over to the pub and talk about some really great beers we're drinking uh, that we discovered on our road trip to Seattle. So stick around and we'll be right back. Wai's private collection release of Global Lagers covers the gamut of styles being brewed and celebrated around the world this time of year. 2575 Kolsch 2 from Germany produces a rich flavor profile and is suitable for a range of fermentation conditions. For international and American lager styles, 2272 North American Lager provides mild maltiness and a medium ester profile. And direct from the Austrian Alps, 2487 Hellebach Lager will create a rich, full-bodied, and complex malty profile sought after in many German lager styles. These Y-East Originals are available now through the end of December at your local homebrew shop. Find out more at yeastlab.com. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of beer and brewing books that help millions of brewers improve their craft. Visit BrewersPublications.com to explore their catalog of trusted brewing resources. Welcome back, everybody. 
We are sitting here at the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere in your town, wherever the heck you happen to be. And we are having a couple beers, uh, both of them from Bainbridge Brewing, because we were so impressed by their beers when we were up there. Huh? Yeah, well, let's set the stage. So you drove up to Bainbridge. And right. I I flew on on an airplane and left a L.A. when it was like 94 degrees. I'm glad you added that to on an airplane because otherwise, who knows? Yeah, hey, I could have I could have walked I could have been walking the earth. Well, I just didn't want you to be flying without an airplane. There you go. Uh, that's also possible too. But I got to uh, Seattle where it was a well slightly different 54 degrees. Grabbed a ferry and trudged up a hillside from the ferry to. Well, one of the most warm and welcoming places I've been, and that might have been because I was cold and slightly wet and needed a beer. Uh, the the Bainbridge Brewing uh, Ale House there in Bainbridge is really, really a nice place. It, it's very comfy, and what a tap selection. I know. I immediately sat down, and I, of course, had a flight. And uh, <laughs> I think the thing that was funny was you beat me to the pub. And, yes. And you got your own flight. Yes. And I sat down, and you said, oh, hey, you should try this beer. But otherwise, I independently set up my own flight. And what ended up happening? The same beers. It's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Again, we've been together too long at this. I think that probably what happened was that uh, I got some beers that I normally wouldn't have just because all of Russell's beers are so outstanding. It made me want to try something uh, out of the ordinary for me. Which, of course, is normal for me. So, and speaking of normal and out of the ordinary for me... I ended up having his pumpkin stout. Now, we just did the episode at the Brew Files with about the pumpkin saison or butter squash saison, really. And so I'm not adverse to the idea of pumpkin beers, although I've had a lot of really terrible pumpkin beers. And this was really, really fantastic. And it was actually made as a blend between a pumpkin ale that they do. I think it's an amber. Yeah, I think so. And their regular stout. And it's served on nitro. And boy, was it beautiful. I mean, it's a, a, yeah. a pub special. Doesn't make it out very far, but it was just intriguing because it had all the best characteristics of a stout. You know, a little bit of that chocolate and a little bit of that roast character, a little bit of body, but then also all of those pumpkin spices and a couple of other flavors coming in, and all of it actually really mellow and mingling together in such a way that really, really worked. Yeah, man, there was nothing over the top about it, and... uh you know, my, my dislike of pumpkin beers is pretty well known, but I would drink another one of these any time I had the chance to. Yeah, and now, you can definitely drink a pint of what I had. I think what you had might be a little bit harder to do on the pint size. Well, it, it's not that strong. I had a beer called Res Judicata, which uh, comes from Russell's background as an attorney. It means a, a case that has uh, settled law... <sighs> Do you like that? I, I had to look that up. That's not anything I just kind of generally know. Uh, but this is this was a, a fairly sour, but not over-the-top sour, barrel-aged beer made with cherries and black currants. And, you know, this beer was perfectly balanced, just like that pumpkin stout. Uh, balance may be a word that we don't allow brewers to use when talking about their style. But it's okay for us to use it when we're talking about their beers. <laughs> uh, I mean, this beer, I, I took one sip 
and my eyes just went wide because it was so perfect. And what is really interesting was that this beer had its beginnings at the 2012 National Homebrew Conference in Seattle when uh, Russell was head of the North Seattle Homebrew Club. They brewed a beer, put it in a barrel, and then he had everybody in the club just uh, bring over some various buggy beers, and they dumped all the dregs into the uh, into the barrel with the, the beer there. And Russell has kept it going ever since. Uh, it's just remarkable because... There was nothing. There was nothing out of place about that beer, right? No, and I think the biggest thing about it was it was a flavor explosion. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, I took the first sip and I went, "Wow, there are cherries in there." I didn't really know anything about this other than it was a sour beer. And yeah, I went, "Wow, there are cherries in there," and then I kind of like got some of the currants, and then just everything came together the oak even the body of the beer was perfect wasn't it yeah it was I'm, i was really amazed and i mean the only reason why i would say that you couldn't drink a pint of it were very many pints of it was just because it was so intense yeah that's right it, it really was but the flavor was great uh admittedly bainbridge brewing does not have a real large uh distribution beyond uh, that area of washington kind of like the northwest area of washington should you be lucky enough to find yourself able to drink any of Russell's beers from Bainbridge Brewing, do it. Uh, you will not be disappointed. And for those of our friends up there in the Seattle area, if you haven't discovered this place already, do it. Hop the ferry, go over to Bainbridge, sit there and go through all the taps they got in the Ale House. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, and, and of course, we had a great conversation while we were there and... We can't talk about it yet, but there were a couple of ideas kicked around for the weird beer, strange beer fest. That if yeah, he- yeah, their strange brew fest. If you remember when we talked to Russell quite a while back, uh, we interviewed him about some of his strange beers, like the the Thai beer with stout noodles. I mean, come on, does that rock or what? Yeah, well, and of course the Cool Ranch Doritos beer that we still get questions about. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, not too long ago I even saw somebody on Facebook brewing the Cool Ranch Doritos beer, and uh, we we discussed with Russell uh, why it's Cool Ranch Doritos and not regular ones. Yeah, and so we did discuss what his possible thoughts were for this year, and then I'm afraid I may have kicked over an idea that is both too perfect and shouldn't exist. Yeah, and I really too perfect and scary. I really hope it happens. Uh, you know, because if it does, then I want to I want to talk about it because, man, it's just oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I recall, Strange Brew is like right around the first of the year, so maybe we'll get Russell on the phone afterwards to talk to him about it. I agree, it's so great. So now, <laughs> from things that are great, uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk about some things that well may or may not be great depending upon your point of view. So you guys may remember a few months back, I think in August, we talked about the fact that uh, Craft Brewers Alliance was waiting for a buyout or waiting for ABI to exercise their option to purchase the rest of CBA. So remember, CBA is like Woodmere, Red Hook, Kona, and a few other brands. And it stands for Craft Brew Alliance. Um, yeah, it, well, that's changed over the years. But, um, <laughs> but CBA had 30% ownership by ABI. And they had until August to decide to exercise an option. I think the option was something like $26 a share to, to purchase the, the rest of it, or they'd have to pay a $20 million buyout. So everybody was watching for that and waiting for ABI to pull the trigger on that purchase. 
And then August came and went, and ABI didn't. In fact, they went and purchased a brewery, I think, overseas. And so everybody was kind of scratching their heads at that. And, of course, CBA's stock took an immediate tumble. I think it went all the way down to about $7 per share. And just this last week, as we're reporting, ABI decided that they were actually going to purchase CBA, and they purchased it at that lower stock price. And that was the, the final negotiation that happened. And if I remember correctly, looking at the calculations... It's something like they saved $200 million, even with the $20 million fine or penalty. And now now it's in flight, but all those brands, Woodmere, Red Hook, uh, Omission, uh, all these other ones, they're all now going to go and join what used to be the high end at ABI and is now called the Brewers Collective. So, again, with the uh, not-quite-independent craft beer, craft beer thing. Yeah, man, it, it's really too bad. Uh, there are a couple beers that Widmer makes that I really, really like, and you can find them around here deeply discounted most of the time, and I guess I just will not be able to purchase those beers anymore. Yep, and Jeff Allworth over at Beervana blog, he had a really great breakdown because uh, he, he just released a book earlier this year that was about the, the Widmer Brothers and the Widmer Way, and he actually included some outtakes from it to talk about the sort of fateful decisions and why some of the decisions were made and what this means. I still, I mean, I get it. They were trying to save money, but at the same time, it, it still seems a little underhanded to do the whole, here, we're going to let you go, and now we're going to buy you at a discount because we knew your stock price was going to tumble. Well, you know, that's the way business works. Yes, it is. And speaking of business, uh, I think the whole time that we've been off running around either doing repeats or, or whatnot, there was the whole thing that happened with founders. So folks will remember... We talked about founders uh, earlier this year when they had a racial discrimination lawsuit filed against them by one of their employees. Then things went bananas <laughs> a few weeks back. Sideways, pear-shaped, any of those words. Yeah, it's not exactly the first phrase I would use, but we can't use my first phrase. Um, yeah. But they, it, it went banana pants because basically they had, the transcript got released from one of the interviews from one of their GMs where he refused to basically identify that the guy was African-American, you know, because he was saying things like, well, I don't know, I never asked him his history, I never asked him his uh, for a DNA test or anything like that. Um, and it was all, I mean, if you've ever been through a deposition, it's all stuff that you, you've been coached to do in a deposition, right? In a deposition, you're, you're coached to basically not give any information, not volunteer anything that that's a supposition on your part. But it was very, very bad optics to the point where the, Founders employees in Detroit, where all this was kind of going down, were going to arrange a protest on the same day that the very last bottle release of Canadian Breakfast Out was going to be released. And Wait, you meant Kentucky Breakfast Out? You said Canadian, no, Canadian. Breakfast Out. Is that, no. Okay, sorry. Then, then continue. Um, and it, this was all happening at that time. Founders said that they were shutting down the, temporarily shutting down the Detroit Tap Room for employee safety because, of course, Stuff went viral on the internet, and lots of things were flying around, and Founders was claiming that their employees were being threatened. No clue. Uh, they kind of doubled down in some legal, uh, in some PR statements and showing a lot of sort of bad faith in terms of, or not even bad faith, just bad optics in how to handle it. And then the woman that they hired at the beginning of the year to serve as a diversity and inclusion director, you know, to handle training and make sure the company was doing things correctly, resigned and resigned with a scathing letter that she published 
essentially accusing the company of basically only wanting to win the lawsuit, only hiring her because she was a black woman with a you know that made for good optics that way, and not listening to any of the suggestions that either she or their PR companies were giving them about how to handle the situation. So that all happened while we were running around. The upshot that ended up finally happening was, remember, founders just agreed to sell, I think it was an additional 60% of the company to the Spanish brewery that had had been buying them. You know, so the uh, Spanish brewery, uh, San Miguel, they, they'd already agreed to, uh, they'd already purchased 30% of founders. They were agreeing to buy an additional 60% and leaving the founders of founders with 10%. So essentially founders would become a nearly wholly owned subsidiary. Um, that deal doesn't close though until the end of this year. So it doesn't actually become official until December 31st of 2019. And so a lot of, a lot of people were speculating what was about to happen, you know, and, and what happens with this deal because of, you know, I don't know about you, but corporations tend to be sort of adverse to buying into controversy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, sure enough, uh, the week after their diversity director, you know, published that scathing letter and resigned, the brewery settled. And included in the settlement were some standard legal terms that kind of caught people's attention, like uh, they were directing their employees not to disparage Mike Evans, the, the plaintiff in this case, at all, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all very standard, but it was still kind of like, uh, you guys can't even get out of it without uh, cleanly. <laughs> you know, what a mess. Oh, I mean, it's completely a mess. And if... Anybody uh, wants to go learn the details, there are plenty of places that you can go learn more of the details about what was going on with the case. You know, again, not necessarily, you know, 100% that, hey, you know, everybody's guilty who says they're guilty in this case or, or is being accused of being guilty. But overall, it's just bad PR handling. Bad PR handling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very bad Uh Hopefully their PR person will be replaced by someone well, who knows what they're doing. Well, I mean, at least if you if you look at the that letter from their diversity director, it sounded like their PR people were telling them exactly what they should be doing, and they were choosing to ignore. <laughs> they need a PR person with a big stick. There you go. Um, yeah, the Teddy Roosevelt uh, PR uh, firm uh, that might have complications. So from bad corporate stuff. To good corporate stuff and homebrew stuff, the Smithsonian, you remember they have a director now, uh, Teresa McCullough, who is all about you know, archiving Americans brewing, America's brewing history, particularly the craft beer movement. Uh, position was funded by the Brewers Association. Uh, they just uh, honored Michael Lewis, the former professor at UC Davis, who, I don't know, has been probably one of the most influential voices in American brewing. The number of people he's trained. Um, but they, they honored him. They put uh, copies of his books and a couple of other things into the Smithsonian archive. So this is the same archive that has, you know, Charlie's, Charlie's brew spoon and pots and whatnot in there. And it's just very cool to, to see this. And he was getting honored. And at the same time that the, as part of this whole honoring thing, they put together a panel to discuss American brewing history. And it was, uh, Michael Lewis, Charlie Papazian, as Ken Grossman and Jack McAuliffe from New Albion. So right there, which is uh, because uh, that was a long time ago, and a lot of you might not know about Jack. Uh, New Albion was man one of the very first 
microbreweries? It, it was the f- craft breweries, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it was the first independently founded microbrewery. So the other person who was also in the, the panel was Fritz Maytag, who bought Anchor when Anchor was failing and is credited usually as the guy who sort of kickstarted the American craft beer movement. Jack McAuliffe is the first guy who basically opened up his own brewery and opened up this tiny little place in Sonoma. And if you ever want, if you ever make it up to Russian River, you'll see the new Albion sign in Russian River because they held on to that piece of history. And um, it's just really cool to see like a chance where you can actually have this conversation with all these people who are there at the very, very beginning of this whole thing. It must have just been a fascinating discussion, man. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that one. Yeah, if I can, I'm going to try and figure out if there's some way that we can get some more information around it. But at the same time, if you get a chance. You can actually now go to the Smithsonian, and they have a whole exhibit dedicated to American craft beer. That's that's really cool. I mean, as it should be. Exactly. So I think it's nifty. I I, I love the fact that our history is being preserved, and I also think that uh, Teresa McCullough is doing a hell of a job getting it out there and holding on to it. Yeah, man, everything that I've seen from her, I, I'm really, really impressed at her work. Let's also remember, it's got to be a hell of a job because brewers aren't... Uh, well, brewers aren't always the best at record-keeping and history-keeping. <laughs> and let's face it, they're often drunk, so they don't know what they're talking about, right? There you go. Precisely. What are we talking about? I don't know. I think it's time for <laughs> us to go. Man. I think so, too. We're going to take a, a break here, and when we come back, we'll be getting into the first segment that we recorded at Micro Homebrew on our trip to Seattle, talking to Tony Oshner. So stick around. We're going to be right back. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. Hey, we're back. Thanks for sticking around. Don't forget, if you do any business with any of our sponsors, please let them know that you heard about them here on Experimental Brewing. So, we've spent a couple weekends uh, lately on the road doing book signings. 
The first one of those, we were up in the Seattle area uh, with our friend Tony Oshner at Micro Homebrew. And then we went over to Karen Brewing after a while. Uh, Tony set all of that up, set up a brew day for people. He's a, a great supporter of the show and our efforts, and, and we really appreciate it, Tony. If you're listening, thanks a bunch, buddy. Yeah, and to give, set the stage for people, uh, Tony owns Micro Homebrew. It's in Kenmore, Washington, and it is one of the better homebrew stores I've been in in terms of you know both a local place, but you know also in terms of support, equipment, cleanliness, organization of it, and just the ability to be able to find whatever it is that you need. And let's not forget knowledgeable staff, too, man. That's Those true. guys really know what they're talking about. Uh, just, you know, again, if you're in the area, check out uh, Micro Homebrew. It's a really, really nice store. And, you know, he had stuff in there that I didn't even know that I needed that now I want. Exactly. That's always the problem. With it. <laughs> always the problem with visiting any sort of good store. You always go come away going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Right, right. Tony set up a big event for us there, even delicious hot dogs. Uh, so uh, we sat down and we talked to him about his store, and we're going to listen to that right now. So hope you enjoy this conversation with Tony Oshner from Micro Homebrew in Kenmore, Washington. So uh, we're sitting here today at Micro Homebrew in Kenmore, Washington, a gorgeous shop. I just love coming up here, and we got Tony Oshner with us, the owner of the shop. Hi, Tony. Hi. Hi guys. Thank you so much for having us up here and going to all this effort to make things so cool for oh, us. We're happy to. We're glad you guys can make it up. Man, we got we got people brewing outside. We got people walking around inside, and we're going to be brewing too. The the infamous Pilpazon. Yeah, the thing I still can't exactly say or spell because it's a made up word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means that you can spell it or say it any way you like. Yeah. So uh, we're doing this, basically we're doing a three-gallon brew-in-a-bag batch, and then Annie is with us, and she's doing the same thing on the Pico Z, and we're going to see how it comes out. So, Tony, what what are like the the hot ingredients that people are coming in here looking for these days? Uh, we get whatever uh, you guys are talking about pretty, pretty frequently. <laughs> um, Good. The cryo hops are big now, yeah. uh, of course. Um, the Skagit Valley malt that we have up here, right. um, you know, the, the, the boutique malts are really been real popular. They have a, a new brand uh, called Franson that they got um, from the, 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 the seed from the Czech Republic. Oh, wow. And, and they're growing it exclusively up in the Skagit Valley now. Cool. So that's been real popular, too. I have um, some malt tasting I have to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it, you know, it still remains pretty consistent, and the new types of hops are, are always big. Yeah, hops are, hops seem to be like the sexy thing that brewers always go for. Yeah. Although, you know, we're seeing so much going on in the malt world these days, too. I'm hoping that that's going to start getting the same kind of love that hops do. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely seeing a lot of uh, innovation as that goes, too. But it takes a little while to trickle down to us, you know. Yeah, yeah. They have to have a beer at a brewery that was made with it, and then we got to get it right away. Then, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like it's no good until somebody else uses it first. Yeah. Well, the thing we got to do is get people to respect the foundation of beer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, there you go. good luck with that. I know, yeah. I've been trying for years. <laughs> um, I did want to say one thing is uh, I really appreciate stepping into the store. I've been in so many homebrew shops in the past where they're not exactly the world's best organized or the world's cleanliest places, yeah. and your shop here is gleaming. Well, I've been to a lot of homebrew shops like you guys have, and 
that was one of the goals when we started it was some place that we felt comfortable going to. You know what you don't want. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, man, I, I love this place because it, it is so well laid out, nice wide aisles, and a huge stock. You just have tons of stuff. We have a pretty pretty large inventory. And yeah. so you you have, like, beer-making stuff. I see coffee-roasting stuff. Uh, wine stuff. Wine stuff, wine I stuff. assume. Cheese-making. Cheese-making, too. Fermented vegetables, kombucha. Wow. We try to cover about everything. Wow. It, if you want to ferment it, you can find it here. You know, I, I really want to get into cheese making, but between bread and beer, if I did cheese too, my cardiologist would never talk to me again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, your cardiologist would talk to you, and the cardiologist would be happy in one aspect, but not the other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Keeping him busy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I noticed that you also have a canning machine online. Do you, do you see that coming up as a trend? There are certainly people that are interested in them. I mean, we know a lot of the homebrew clubs have one or two. Um, some of the guys, uh, you know, that get really deep into the hobby have a few. That's the new one, the cannular. Um, I've heard available. of that. Yeah, it's the first time I've actually yeah. seen one. Yeah. Yeah, it's on the lower end. I don't remember off the top of my head. It costs like three hundred. Three is it about five hundred yep. with the, with the deal? Um, they seem to be pretty popular with people. What, when you have one, too, what's yours? I have an all-American. An all-American. Which you're which you're is such an all-American like, kind of guy. Well, it, it, it's a machine that was like originally designed in the 30s, and it hasn't changed since then. It's big cast iron beast, and it's fun. Yeah. But uh, to me, I, I like the canning just for, you know, what I do is I'll, I'll use my beer gun, and I'll ship Denny beer. And so it works out perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it's great because you can ship those without having to worry about them breaking and that kind of stuff. And when I ship Drew beer, I put it in uh, leftover pet bottles from Trader Joe's <laughs> carbonated water. <laughs> yeah, whatever works. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He's fancy. I'm simple. Yeah. Well, and speaking of simple, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that today. Yeah, that's right. You know, how we take all the ingredients that you find in a shop like this and turn it into beer. Without right. driving yourself nuts. Yeah, so while, while you're doing that, let's let's talk about what we're brewing today here. Okay, well, so we're going to do uh, a Pilpazon, which is a word that you made up. Yeah. Uh, so a Pilsner uh, Pale Ale Saison, and in order to do this, I, cho- I chose the yeast, uh, Annie chose the malt, and you chose the hops. Right. And so Annie, being the Pilsner, uh, Pilsner expert, went for a very simple grain bill, so some German floor malted Bohemian Pilsner, and that's Weirman. Yes. Yeah, yes. So that's some really nice stuff. Uh, some uh, white wheat, uh, just a little bit, so a half pound of that as opposed to six pounds. We're doing three pound, ba- uh, three gallon batches, and then an ounce of acidulated malt, which Annie claims is her secret weapon. <laughs> <laughs> if she says that's the secret weapon, I'll believe it. There you go. And for hops, what did you do, bud? Uh, uh, well, for me, Chinook has to be in there someplace. So we're uh, we're bittering with Chinook to about thirty five IBUs. And then we're finishing off in the uh, whirlpool with some Cascade and Citra Cryo, because Naturally. I'm not a I'm not a huge Citra guy, but I like it when I combine it with something else, you know, to kind of cut that intense fruitiness in it. So uh, you're not a mango pineapple person. I, I am, but not if that's all that there is. You know, that makes the beer a little too sweet for me. You know. And then of course, just to do the saison side of things, I got to choose the yeast, and I went with. Probably my favorite Saison yeast that is both reliable and also gives some good Saison characteristics. I know a lot of people love to use, like, the French Saison yeast. I don't. Um, <laughs> and so I chose the Y yeast uh, 3726, the Farmhouse Ale, a.k.a. Blaugies. Is that uh, what it is? Yeah, it's Blaugies. <sighs> and it's such a great yeast. I had a fig beer of theirs when I was in Belgium that was one of the more memorable beers that I had in those two weeks there. Yeah. You know, it was stunning. So, great. Uh, hopefully, our, that yeast will make ours turn out half well, as good. 
It's in the back. I tried the shaken, not stirred method for the first time, so oh, we'll yeah? see how it goes. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk some of that uh, with the crowd later. Yeah. And, of course, we're going to be going around some of the brewers here today to talk to them and see what they're doing. And otherwise, I think we got to get brewing. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a break here, and in a little while, I'll break out the beer that we made with uh, Tony Skagit. Uh, Skagit is that right? Valley? Yeah, yep. yeah. They, there's some. Uh, they made some uh, malt specifically for Tony in the homebrew shop here, and I brought some beer made with it. It's so. called Micro Homebrew Select, and we have it in stock all the time. Really? Yep. Cool. Well. Nice. We'll, ha- we'll have a beer made with some of that and some uh, Great Western Brew Malt, which is a new thing from them. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, right. yeah. All right. Thanks, Tony. Thanks. thanks for everything. Thank you, guys. Thank you. What can you say that we haven't already said, man? Great guy, great store, really, really fun day, huh? Oh, yeah. And I think I think it was you know kind of really nice of him to set us up back there and give us a little space. I had great fun brewing while I was there. And, of course, we're going to dig into even more of that in just a few minutes. That's right, and I guess we better give a shout-out to his lovely wife, Kat, too, because she certainly deserves it. Yeah, and she made sure that we were fed. God bless her. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so there is part one of our trip to Micro Homebrew. We got three more parts coming up, so stick around, and we'll get into part two right after this. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Thanks for sticking around. In this segment from Micro Homebrew, we sat down with Annie Johnson to taste some of my beers that I had brought up and to talk about a philosophical question, a little story that I'd heard that I was kind of interested to relate to brewing. Uh, I just want to say that you guys were very kind to me on those beers. (laughs) I think it was still good. Yeah, they were great. I mean, they they were not perfect fantastic beers they were good solid beers uh, i guess in my defense i'll just say that because these days i spend so much time playing with ingredients and learning about new ingredients that i don't really spend a lot of time formulating real finessed recipes like i used to i'm more interested in just finding out about something so uh, that's what we had here. There was uh, a German pills that I wanted to check out, the Lollaman Diamond Lager yeast. And there was uh, an IPA that I made because I wanted to check out uh, the brew malt from Great Western. So these beers are pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they didn't suck. Well, I mean, you know me. I'm always a a person who prefers straightforward and simple uh, simple structures to a lot of beers, even if my ideas get weird. 
Yeah, right. Uh, like, they, like I said, they could have used a little bit more finesse. I thought that the, uh, Annie in particular was extremely kind to my Pilsner. You can see her going, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's because that's <laughs> Annie. I know, I know. She couldn't be anything else. Anyway, enough uh, enough screwing around here. Let's get into segment two from Micro Homebrew. We are joined now by Annie Johnson. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming here with us today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So what the plan is here is that we are going to uh, taste some beers and do a little philosophical discussion. And I think that uh, probably the latter would be helped if we did the former first and tasted some beers. So this is a, this is a German Pilsner that I made with all-American ingredients. Um, and I'll, let me see here. I'll tell you what's in it as soon as I can find. Do you have a name for the beer? <laughs> you know, batch, uh, batch 523? Uh, yeah, this is called American German Pils. Number 549. See, the thing I always love about Danny is he's always so creative with names. Yeah. I, uh, I used to be creative with names, and then, you know, after 550 batches, you just kind of run out, not to mention as you get older, the mind goes. See, I would end up just calling this Checkpoint Charlie. <laughs> so so this is made with uh, 12 pounds of Idaho Pills malt from Great Western. It has four ounces of American Noble Simcoe at 60 minutes. Uh, two ounces of American Noble Laurel at 20 minutes, and two ounces of American Noble Citra at flame out, uh, two packs of Lallemand Diamond Lager yeast, and it was mashed at uh, 148 for 90 minutes. Uh, OG was 1055, finished at 1007. So it's a little hmm. bit on the strong side. I was going to say, yeah, and it's interesting because there's a very... I mean, you get that very clean malt character. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, complexity around the malt, which is fine for Pilsner. Yeah. But, yeah, you're getting all that hop character in there. Mm-hmm. But, again, you were using mostly American Nobles, right? Yeah, all American Nobles, nothing else. All right. And so for people, just to refresh everybody's memory, the American Nobles are the flip side of the cryo process. So all that wonderful concentrated cryo stuff, there's a lot of dross that happens during that process. And Yakima has figured out that they can use that in a different way, and they call that American Noble. And they're so instead of being like 22 IBUs or 22% alpha acid, they're two. And what I've found in the past is that you get that the, some of the same oil characteristic, just kind of dialed way back in a way that you can't do just by like using a quarter of an ounce of the yeah the right yeah and. It's interesting because here I think you also get that tannin quality that you get from those American Nobles, and I think it actually helps in the back end of yep. the beer because it helps drive the break. Right. And then, of course, uh, unlike the other beer that we were talking about the other day, uh, brisk carbonation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I sent some beers down to Drew uh, recently, and I hadn't really been paying much attention to carbonation. And uh, so I, I resolved that after that that I would actually pay attention to carbonation. What do you think? I like it. It's, it's decidedly bitter yeah it is it's it's a little bit more bitter than i was going for mm-hmm. uh but you know I, again it, it is what it is yeah and i i use the boiled hiver uh water profile from brewing water which lends itself to a fairly bitter beer because mm-hmm. that's what i like it's refreshing i do like it yeah. i like those american noble hops oh aren't they great yeah i mean well, you can because they, they act like german hops but then you get a little bit of that 
you know, fruity mm-hmm. American character out of him way in the background. Yeah, but, I, tr- I tried the Palisade, and I think that was my favorite. Well, the Palisade already kind of starts off noble-ish anyway to start yeah, with. Yeah, so. and it was really good in the Pilsner. This is excellent. Yeah, really? I mean, nice you, job. I, yeah, I mean, to me, I would... Thank you. Have you been brewing long? <laughs> to me, what I would Sometimes end up calling... too long, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Well, and to me, what I would call this is instead of calling this uh, an American Pilsner, or American German Pilsner, I would, I would almost think that, you know, there are a lot of breweries out there that are trying the idea of the India Pale Lager, right? Mm-hmm. And most of those suck. I'm just going to be frank. <laughs> uh, you know, most, most, most India Pale Lagers are no good. This, I think, you could actually build in that way, and this would deliver what you're expecting because it does have that bitterness to it. Yeah. And still has that hop character, and still is very much a lager. So. It, it, would need, it would need more aroma yes. for that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and, and this one, I, I've been making a lot more lagers since I started using that Grainfather Conical with the glycol chiller because it makes it so easy to do. Um, we're not we're not actually sharing beer. They're just kind of taking it. So, <laughs> thieves! Stop thieves! <laughs> we can't help that. Um, but no, no. Let's talk philosophically, though. You know, yeah. I, I know a lot of times people here in America will do, you know, oh, this is our American spin on something, and usually, of course, in America, that means, hey, I've added hops. Right. Mm. Uh, what? It, any since you are the the pills queen, <laughs> you know. Hey, you're the one who has the official recognized title. That's right. You know, I mean, I, She's a pill. <laughs> <laughs> but but since you are the official pills queen, what what do you think of you know people trying to do those spins? I think sometimes they work, and sometimes they're just flat out disasters. Um, I'm I might not be the right person to ask because I am a traditionalist when it comes to the German beers. I was going to say, says the lady who makes a fried chicken beer? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, It's not fried. It's free range. (laughs) Organic fryer. Oh, excuse us. Boiled. But uh, I think with these American nobles, and I'm not a paid shill for ICH, I think this will help a lot of... American brewers, right? Specifically because they'll recognize the names of these hops, and they have such a hard time, in my experience, when they try to pick the correct German hop for right. their German beer. Because you know the Hollertower family is really really big. broad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think they'll be. I think they'll be great as far as availability. I mean, sometimes it's really hard to get. Those German varieties, because right. they're being they're if they're having a bad year yield in in Europe, they're keeping them all for themselves. Yeah, right. Well, and not yeah, only that, so but these then, are an excellent. By the time they get them shipped here, too, who knows yeah. what kind of uh, well, and and particularly for homebrewers. I mean, yeah, like, oh, I think homebrewers would would be. I think they'll be amazed though, because when I did, I think Palisade, it was Alpha was one. Mm-hmm. Which was wow. one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's that's what most of the the American nobles are. Yeah, you know? I think their highest was maybe three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's two one and that, a half to three. Yeah, like, yeah. Which, most of them are like two point two, two point eight, yeah. two point nine, and I, I yeah, think, they're they're almost like here here's a self built governor to help you not overdo what you're trying to do. But I think these could be used in in American brewers versions of Kolsch. Mm-hmm. Kulsh, you know, yep. and other types of beers. Um, but uh, I, I, the way things are going now it, it, here in the States, it's 
it's almost anything goes. <laughs> yeah, you know, which is sometimes a good thing and sometimes not such a good thing. I, I'm I'm going to fully admit that I do not like lactose in beers other than stout. Stout. Yeah, I, I, I um, think that you're not the only one. I, I think that's a, a three for three vote across the table. Yeah. I mean, there's some. Yeah, I'm 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 okay with hazies. I'm I'm okay with a lot of stuff, but yeah, the yeah. milkshake IPA thing I, I haven't gotten yet. And I get it, and I think we've talked about this a lot. This chasing trends mm-hmm. versus being yeah, truly right. an right. innovator. Right. That, uh, and I there's so many other questions that go when you're running a business and like I gotta sell beard, goddammit. <laughs> uh, oh, can we cuss on the show? Sure. Um, but I I just those are a turn off to me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. let's try this other one. This is uh, oh. kind of like halfway between a pale ale and an IPA. This I think one, that would be called a strong pale ale these days. Or a weak IPA. Um, let me see what it ended up at. Oh, I don't have that written down. Um, so this is made with uh, 12 pounds of, or 11 pounds of the Skagit Valley Micro Homebrew Malt uh, that, that Tony sells here, uh, made specifically for them. It has a pound of Great Western Brew Malt, uh, which is uh, a new malt from Great Western that is kind of like a cross between honey malt, except it has a a tartness to it in the back end. It is bittered with an ounce of Chinook, and then it has uh, an ounce of uh, Mosaic Cryo, Citra Cryo, and Simcoe Cryo, an ounce each of those at Flame Out. Cryo and Cryo and Cryo. But you know what's amazing in this bear? Boy, is that Chinook. You taste that Chinook. Yeah. I love Chinook. I know. I mean, for an American West Coast, you know, ale, as far as I'm concerned, it's got to have Chinook in it. And it's got to have something crystallish in it, which is what the brew yeah. malt is doing it's, in this one. Yeah. It's like the house hop. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'd also like to point out that I use three ounces of cryo in this. And Yakima Chief says to use half as much cryo as you would T90. And what I have found for my taste is I have to use at least as much cryo as I do for T90 because well, I want it to really pop out. I was going to say, you, you want to really sing. I mean, Yakima says to use half those regular T90 pellets or half the amount of the regular T90 pellets in order to mimic the character that you get out of the T90s. Right. In this particular case, what, what I think a lot of American brewers and a lot of American homebrewers are going to want to do is like, I want to step on the gas. Yeah, well, and that's and that's what I did. I had a freezer full of cryo, and uh, I wanted to do it. So, you know, I I really like this beer a lot. I do too. This is something I could have on a and and the brew malt adds a really interesting quality. There's kind of like a a little honey note up front, and then as it finishes, you get some of that tartness from the malt. Yeah, see, and I, I totally get what you're talking about with the Chinook. I mean, like for me, I. Years ago, when they first started to release those uh, first wave of low-cohumulone hops, like mm-hmm. when you know Amarillo and those things first started to appear, which is now over a decade, mm. um, I started making beers with those, and I, I never felt like the bitterness was quite right if I was going for a full, bitter, bitter beer. And what I decided was I need a little bit of that raspy note. So almost all my IPAs, where I'm trying to go for that West Coast bitterness, mm-hmm. they'll the primary bittering hop will still be Warrior because I'm me. I... I bitter almost everything with either warrior or magnum but i will have a small edition of chinook in the bittering edition right just to be able to, to give, give it that, some bite. that little 
Yeah. That little punch. Oomph, oomph. Yeah. yeah. This is pleasingly dry yeah. in Thank the finish. Thank you. And this is, this is made with the Wallaman BRY-97. I love that That's yeast. a great dry yeast. I yeah. Mean, uh, give me that over USO5 it's, any day. Yeah, I've, you know? I've permanently made the switch. Yeah, I, I have too. I mean, I, I know that a lot of people love USO5 and they say that it's clean. I don't find it particularly clean. I mean, for, for a long time, I kind of like bought into that. And, it, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is a clean yeast. And then... When I got that out of my head and started tasting what was actually there, I started getting that peach ester out of it. Mine uh, it started to get a little fruity. It's it's very finicky with temperature. Yeah, and and I you know and maybe if I was fermenting at a higher temperature, I wouldn't have gotten that. But I did, and the easy fix was to just avoid using it. Yeah, you know, same. Okay, so here's a story I want to tell you guys, and then, oh, no. then we'll discuss. <laughs> Yeah, Drew, Drew hates it when I get into the grandpa stories. Yeah, it's so, a little bit like, uh, back in my day, we were wearing onions on the belt, which was a passion at the time. <laughs> okay, so I, I heard an architect on the radio the other day talking about, uh, about his approach and changes to his profession over the years. And he, he told this story to kind of illustrate it. It's like, when you first start fishing, you go out and you want to catch the most fish, right? And then you do that for a while and you move on to the next phase, which is where you want to catch the biggest fish, right? And after a while, you move on out of that and you get to the phase where you want to catch the most challenging fish. And after you go along through that for a while and and you mature and get older, what you find is that what you really want to do is just Walk along the river and look at the fish. Mm. I was going to say, I thought it was really you just want to sit sit in the boat and drink beer. <laughs> That's exactly what my brother said too. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm I have like decided that I am like pretty much at the walking along the river phase with my brewing. You know, it's like I don't care about proving anything. I don't care about you know what other people think. I just care about my observations and my own enjoyment of it. So where are you guys on that continuum? I might be close to where you are. Yeah. I think now when I'm brewing, I'm thinking I'm watching a lot of cooking shows mm-hmm. and I and I look at the you know the the dishes they construct and I'm thinking, wow, I wonder if I can translate that into a beer but I just plant the seed yeah. and keep walking down the banks of the river. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I, a really good way to put it. Yeah, and I find I'm going back to um, things I did when I first started. Right. The thing that I think some people say, "Well, that's easy." And I'm like, "I want to. I like that beer." Yeah. I'm I'm waiting for the revival of the American Amber. If anybody is. I've been praying for the revival of the American Brown for at least six years. I love that one too. All the, I like those. The first beer I ever won an award for was an American Brown, and I always brew it at this time of year, every year. And it's not that I plan to brew it; it's just that I kind of get this urge that I want that beer around. The leaves are changing. The, <laughs> the temperatures are crisping up. That's right. I'm ready for transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just it, I. Well, with the amber, there's a brewery in Seattle that makes a red ale that's, uh-huh. that's close to the one. My absolute favorite is the Jamaica mm-hmm. from from Mad River. And up here, and they make it. And I just like looking at it because it's so pretty. You should 
Looks like my, the leaves. Dig up my Waldo Lake, Amber, and brew a batch of that and see what you think. Okay. That's one of those that I just kind of like whipped out on a whim. For Sam Chinook in it? I don't think it does. You, you oh, have well, to, we'll to fix that. But it's, very, it, it, it's a pretty hoppy amber. Uh, I had a, a friend who used to do this trail race around Lake Waldo or Waldo Lake in, yeah. in Oregon. Um, and we would go and camp out and support her as she did this this race. And so I, I brewed this beer for her to have something to drink when she – I mean, this is like an ultra marathon. I, I'm, picturing, I'm mm-hmm. picturing the level of support of Denny standing along the roadway with a, a pint of beer in his hand going, go, you can run this. Actually, <laughs> actually it was a bottle to pour some for anybody who wanted it. But the, <laughs> this race started at 5,000 feet elevation, went as high as 9,000 oh. feet, and it was like something like – 35, 50 miles long. Oh, I did that I, last week. Look, I, look I'm, I'm <laughs> Yeah, <impre-> me too. <laughs> look, I'm, I'm often impressed by the limits of human stupidity, but there are some things that are beyond the pale. Well, you know, uh, yeah, it depends. Uh, everybody gets to pick their own stupidity. Oh, yeah. oh Jesus. You could, I mean, people take a look at like what I do, and they go, what? You waste your time doing that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going reverting back to the classics. Yeah. That good old... Cascade Centennial combo. Right, I love that. Exactly, you know, um, and that's why that's why in the beer that we're brewing today, we're we're finishing with Cascades. Yeah, uh, you know, but that I mean that's kind of where I'm at too. Uh, I've gone through all the wild and wacky stuff, and I'm back to brewing the beers that I love. Yeah, uh, both of these beers are brewed with ingredients that I haven't used a lot that people sent me to check out. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of that these days. I'm, I'm brewing mm. a lot of beers with ingredients I haven't used before to learn about those ingredients. But stylistically, I'm staying to my old standards, the stuff that I know that I like. Right. Um, and it's like, and I've been through that, that uh, catch the, the biggest fish phase where you know, you want to kind of brew everything and try everything and mm-hmm. do all that. Uh, I've been through the, the most challenging fish phase where you pick a difficult style and really try and nail it. And, and these days, I just want to brew what makes me happy. Yeah. Because that's why we do it, right? You want, you want to make yourself happy. You want to make your friends happy, your family. Uh, that's, yeah. that's what home brewing is for. I'm, I'm go- going, being pulled back into my love of belgians i have always loved belgians and spending a couple weeks there just rekindled that and the the really good thing is that my wife was never really into belgian beers before we went there um and now she is she really enjoys them and, and appreciates them so i can use that to brew more of them i can't wait to i can't wait for you next week you know since you're coming down to la yeah to get a chance to try uh both my Saison and my Blank Spaces Golden. Yeah. Because I think you're going to love that Blank Spaces. Okay. Yeah, it's an amazing beer, but it's also one of those beers that you have, like, that's the glass you have at the end of the night. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because you're like, oh, okay. So so it's like <laughs> just your basic uh, Belgian Golden Strong, like Duval, that, mm-hmm. kind of, that kind of thing. Yep, but with some interesting yeast twist to it. So Cool. Yeah, I, and so I find for myself, I've gone through all the, the strange phases and like obviously i'm i'm known very largely for being a wacky brewer and doing strange things but i haven't actually made a beer that i would that i would consider to be wacky for probably 2 years now yeah uh and all the stuff i'm doing is ingredient exploration technique exploration right. and that's why i find that that i'm doing but it's also still you look at the beers i'm brewing for myself 
just in this last week, I made a fest beer with the same malts that you have mm-hmm. here. And then I also made myself, what was it? Uh, I made myself a fall saison. So, but that was a very classic and simple. He, simple he calls it that because he fell down when he was brewing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a grandpa joke. <laughs> it, it sure is. Yeah, on, on a level, level of humor, I usually tell dad jokes. He's telling grandpa jokes. Um, but in, but I did that, and then I also did a, a hydromel uh, that that I did in a hurry. Uh, uh-huh. And yeah, and I did that because I wanted to explore the. This great pumpkin honey I got out of Oregon, and see what that uh, see what that gave, and I, I find that's with your malt. Oh, cool! I find that's Tony. I find that's the the thing that's fueling my brewing these days is trying very simple things that fall into things I love, and but are still teaching me stuff. So like getting a chance, for instance, to play around with the, con- the conical and this brew malt, and you know doing these different lager schedules. That's fantastic. That's fun. You know, and that's. We talked about this in a Brew Files episode two years ago, I think now, about how to like rekindle what you're doing, like you know, because all brewers I think go through a period of time when you're like, oh, I really don't want to brew, uh, and you know you got to find why you want to brew, right? And so mm-hmm. one of the things that we talked about was you know revisiting some of those things or 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 giving yourself a challenge, finding a reason that you brew, and so for me like that learning, like that trying a brew malt, trying the American Nobles. Trying these cryo hops, trying a different logger technique—that's the thing that I think right now is is really kind of keeping me going. Oh, I got to go try that because I want to be able to talk about it. So for me, I find it hard to get myself to go out there and learn something new. Yeah. Right. I kind of feel like oh, I've been there, done that. Um, but have you really? Well, and that and that's what I was getting at. Have I? Have I really? Um, is it? Is it? More than I'm just lazy, <laughs> or, or pragmatic, maybe we'll say. <laughs> I, I, I am. I'm finding when I there so there are a lot of new techniques, and then I wonder sometimes if I'm lazy because I don't want to do them, or then I think, well, maybe I just don't want to do them because I'm I just don't want to. <laughs> but then I start to think, well, when I'm making a German beer, oh, I'm gonna think like a German. 200 years ago or I'm, I don't know how they thought but I'm going to think I'm going to think like a monk I'm going to I'm just I'm not going to reinvent right. the wheel and if, if maybe if I did use some things I could get better get some better results but I'm yeah I'm God, I don't know if I'm well you know what, what, or when, when I was in Belgium imagine. I was drinking all these beers that had what I would consider weird ingredients if, weird. if we were here you know, what I found was that there's a huge difference between how the brewers there use these ingredients versus how the brewers over here would use those ingredients. Yeah. Everything was balanced. I know Drew hates that word, but, uh-huh. but it's true. It's Every, everything, everything was there in the proper amount <laughs> to support the beer, you know. Uh, and and it, it's like, you know, when I had the fig beer, it did not scream figs at you. It was a beer that had figs. Subtle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't want beers that clobber me on the head. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, the, the special ingredients should be there in service of the beer, not to cover it up. Correct. You know? And, Same. And too often that seems to happen over here. Uh, American brewers 
tend to think if I'm putting an ingredient in, this ingredient has to shout at you that it's there. You know, and that may be a valid philosophy for them, but I like the beer to talk first. Yeah, yeah I... I got advice years ago from a brewer, Denise Jones, who pretty much whacked me in the head with the balance. I didn't know that Drew didn't like that word. <laughs> no, it's a word I usually restrict from all brewers' interviews because it's become meaningless. Tell me about your brewing philosophy. Well, I like to make balanced beers. Oh, that doesn't help me. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I yeah. Um, but I, I understood what she meant when yeah, right. she was talking about not forgetting the importance of the malt mm-hmm. um, versus the hops, right? And what you're making, and and a lot of the brewers in the states here really push those. Yeah, they yeah. they push them. I think of all of them, the malt suffers. Yeah, well, and we were talking about that with Tony earlier too. Is that uh, malt seems to finally be coming into its own and getting the respect it deserves. I mean, well, we got all those good, uh, those small malts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tony has this Skagit Valley malt made specifically for him here, available all the time, and it is a delicious malt. Yeah. I, I've, I've talked about several times on the show already. I just got back from Megagrade, where I they have been... I love their uh, malt. Yeah, I love their malts, and they are developing new ones. They are actively working on it, mm-hmm. uh, crossing the full pint that they normally use with other malts and seeing what they can come up with. We did a blind tasting of four different beers made with straight full pint, full pint crossed with Maris Otter, uh, full pint as the mother crossed with Violetta as the father, and Violetta as the mother crossed with full pint as the father. Mm. Right, And even though those two beers were using the same malt cross, the flavor was drastically different. Yeah. And in all four of these beers, there was a big flavor difference. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's like... Thank goodness that that is happening, and the people are realizing what you can get out of the malt. Well, and we're seeing, like, you know, not only the micro maltsters that we got, like Skagit Valley here, Mecca Grade, Valley Malt, all these other ones mm-hmm. that are out there. Epiphany from uh, Admiral and yeah, Admiral and Root Shoot in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, by the way, that's amazing that we have that many. But we're also seeing new ones coming out from the big guys, like what we just talked about, the brew malt coming out of the Great Western Innovation Center. Right. I know uh, RAR's beginning to get ready to release like a, a new kiln series. Well, there's a, uh, there's, there's that new malt Wireman has that's grown on the Italian the coast. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't heard about that. I got a spec sheet. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, great. But so, it's for making those Italian pilsners. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting we're getting to the point where we're starting to see some innovation in malt that mm. hopefully will excite people as much as the innovation in hops does. Can, so, yeah. can you make pasta with it though? That's the question. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> now, well, you know, I I say that only half jokingly because uh, you know, Mecca Grey grows both red and white wheat. And most of their red wheat that they grow goes to Japan to make noodles. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'll take it. So is there anything else we should kick around, or should we just get back to working on our brew? I think- I'd like to talk about Lodo. Okay. Lodo <laughs> 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 mofo. Oh, that, that, might be, that might be a whole long conversation. Yeah, and I just want all of our listeners to realize I that Annie about- said that, I didn't. Warm fermentation. Of your lager. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean like what I'm doing right now back in California? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, it's not that bad. I, 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 this, I, actually, this pills was fermented like at 53, uh, <laughs> but oftentimes I go a lot warmer than that. Right. Uh, my, my general schedule for a Pilsner is like 53 for like four or five days, kick it up to 70, 72 for four or five days, then crash it down to 33 for 35 for a week or two. Yeah, my, uh, mine just went 50 for three days, uh, 53 for two days. 55 for a day, and it's up to 60. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty, See, uh, that's pretty one of those fancy techniques yeah. I don't have the patience for. <laughs> I well, programmed it in. Yeah. I was oh, going well, to say, with the, technology. with the fermenters Drew and I are using, it makes it really easy to yeah. do that kind of stuff. i got to get one of those. Yeah, yeah you do. We'll but, talk. But you it, know, I w- back to the malt, you, yeah. um, and you mentioned Valley Malt, which I'm not familiar with. Massachusetts. Um, and they're the kind of the ones you yeah, kick off the Yeah, if you have malt. a local maltster, yeah. you should write them and visit them. Yeah. Because they love visitors. I, I was going to say they that. They need help. Yeah, malt makes a huge difference. These guys are out there making cool stuff for you. So if you have a maltster near where you live, definitely check out their malt. Yeah. It, I'll, I'll tell you, it's going to be more expensive than what you've been buying. But just seeing the process but, but is, it's, it's is worth amazing. It. Yeah, it, it's worth it. Um and you support well, these family farms. Bring them well, look, some beer. Look, here's yeah. the thing. We already pay more to either buy craft beer or homebrew our own beer. You know, we, we, don't, we don't have a heartburn about paying more for a six-pack of a craft beer than we do you know, a right. macro order. Mm-hmm. Pay a little more for your, for your malt. You'd be impressed with what it does for your beer. Mm. Right. Agreed. Right. Speaking of which, we should probably go take back a look at Back to brewing. We'll be back later. Well, there you go, man. So uh, what did you think of my fishing analogy? I thought it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. I heard somebody talking about that on the radio, and I thought, man, that just reminds me so much of how I think about brewing. Well, I just think of it as a good way to waste time. <laughs> yeah, well, it certainly is good for that. And speaking of wasting time, we have two more segments to do. So we're going to take a quick break here and listen to some messages from our sponsors, which is not a waste of time. And we're going to be right back. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family hop farms to the world's finest brewers. Yakima Chief's cryo hops represent the most innovative technology in hop processing, using a patent-pending cryogenic separation process which preserves the components of each hop fraction. Cryo hops pellets provide intense hop flavor and aroma, reduced vegetal flavors, and increased yield. Available now to commercial and home brewers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. this next uh, part of the show that we recorded at Micro, we're going to be talking with listener David Prestwich. Uh, David's wife, Laura, contacted us a little while ago to tell us how much David loved the show and uh, 
You know, we sent him uh, a, a book uh, that actually came back in the mail because they move around a lot due to his job. So we took the book with us, presented it to David up there, and uh, he brought a couple beers for us to taste. Uh, pretty interesting beers, and he's a real dedicated brewer, isn't he? Yeah, he is. It's always great to meet a dedicated brewer, and it's always great to meet somebody who brings us beer. <laughs> yeah, that too. So go grab a beer yourself, unless you happen to be driving now, in which case that would not be a good idea. And uh, listen to this part of our show from Micro Homebrew up in Kenmore, Washington, talking to David Prestwich. Hey, we are here at Micro Homebrew in Kenmore, Washington, and we've just been joined by listener David Prestwich, who brought us some stuff to taste. So what are we drinking first here, David? All right, so this is a uh, pre-Brohish-style uh, uh, Pilsner. Oh, one of my favorites. Um, it's uh, hopped with Magnum and uh, Forbittering, then... Uh, dry hopped with cluster. <laughs> oh, cluster. The, the good, good old, on you, dude. The yeah. good old fashioned pre prohibition uh, hop. The the hop that if you ever see an American I can recipe. smell it. Yeah. It smells like blackberries and a little bit of um, cat. And that's, and no, that's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not being rude it's, about it's that. A that's, that's, that's yeah, a description. It's a description. It's not a judgment. Oh, yeah. I, I get the same thing with it. Yeah, the, the blackberry aroma is huge. Yeah, it's also dry hop oh. with four days for uh, oh, with the uh, cluster as well. That's really delicious, man. That is a easy drinking beer. So, yep. what was the yeast you used? Uh, with that, I did the uh, mangrove uh, mangrove jacks uh, M54, uh, kind wow. of more of the California yep. common style, right? Yep. Right. And uh, fermented at 66 for um, most of its fermentation. Nice. Wow. Well, and I think that that warmer fermentation is helping like drive a little bit extra fruit character in there. Yeah. And I mean that's going you know, to all depend upon what you want. What did you do for the the grain bill? Um, it was um, did the Viking Pilsner, mm-hmm. uh, flake uh, about seventy uh, percent flake rice, um, carapils and uh, melando. Uh, I never can say that. Uh, melanoidin. Melanoidin. All right. <laughs> Wow. So the, and that was seventy percent of the Viking malt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was like, wait, seventy percent of the rice? What? <laughs> yeah, that's about a one pound of rice. It's a two and a half pound batch, so three pounds of Pilsner and then one pound of the uh, Viking. And then, so how did you decide to put the carapils in? Because that kind of like is at odds with the rice, you know? Yeah, it, it's just kind of one of those things. Like I had it there, it's like oh, I might as well try it. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. That, that's very much a homebrewer's uh, yeah. approach to things. Yeah. Well, and I'm kind of amazed because, I mean, yeah, you've got a lot of body here. And, of course, pre-pros have more body than, I think, the standard American lager that we think of. But yeah. you have enough hop in here as well, I think, to kind of counterbalance it. I would be curious to see what this tastes like without the carapils. Yeah, that's probably going to be one of my next um, iterations of this. Yeah. Yeah. Because... I mean, I think, yeah, I, I agree with Danny. I think you get a little bit of a conflict there with the... With well, the, you know, I don't know if it's if I'd really call it a conflict, well, but it's like, you know, the rice lightens the body, the carapils adds body, but maybe in the in the proper percentages, they can be complementary. Well, but, but I also think, I think, with the fruitiness from the hops and also from the yeast, right? I think with that little bit of extra body from the carapils, I think you get a little bit of, at least a perception of sweetness in the mm-hmm. back end. That I kind of, for my taste, I would prefer not to be there. Yeah. See, and I'm I'm not I'm not minding that because it's it's got enough bitterness to it that it really kind of balances that. <laughs> I know, but that's the reason why I'm, I'm I'm prefacing all this with my preferences. Yeah, right. Oh no, I I understand completely as as you should. Yeah. So now, 
what would you change, or what, what are you thinking for the next run? Um, so this was kind of like my second one. First one I did was uh, corn ba- yeah, corn for the adjunct. Mm-hmm. Uh, decided to go for race. That, that gives a lot of sweetness. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what it was kind of kill- killing me with the last go round. Um, I think with the next one, yeah, the carapil is about about the only thing I can really think of too much. Uh, yeah, this kind of ends up being nice, just easy. Oh yeah, quick, yeah. easy drinking one. No man, this is this is like the beer that I want to have when I'm sitting on my deck in the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, now it just needs to get warm back outside again for it. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck, man. Nine months. <laughs> yeah, well, I was gonna say you guys, you guys still have a lot of force heating, so maybe you're not sitting on the deck, but you're sitting in a warm house now. Really, really, this is October in the Pacific Northwest. It's yep. gonna be a while before we get warm weather again. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I live in Southern California. Yeah, I know. You wouldn't know. Uh, okay, right. so, so this, and you, and you had done. You said you did the Cal Common, so warm ferment. I mean, I, I got a bit. I like that. That is that is just that's beer. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, no, it's it's really good, man. Uh, yeah. And that's kind right. of what it's going for. Is just a regular beer. Just a beer. beer. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, look. I mean, it is it is important to have just a beer on tap, not only for yourself but also as a challenge to your skills because yeah. just a beer does not leave you a lot of room for hiding. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's yeah. kind of what I've been going for here lately. It's been doing a lot more of the lighter. Yeah. Getting into more lager styles. Just. Uh, Kind of see. There's nowhere to hide, man. You know, you got to get it right. Okay, so what is this other one here? Okay, so this is actually not what I intended to bring here. Um, (laughs) This is uh, my kind of Oops Oktoberfest. Um, (laughs) Oops Oktoberfest? Yeah, so. Oops Fest. So it's, um, you know, uh, the uh, problem I have with it is. the bittering. I think I, when I was, I had a couple beers before I um, measured out my hops, Uh-oh. and I think I've been put a point oh two five ounces instead of point two five ounces of uh, Magnum. Oh, yeah, that would definitely do it. Uh, I mean, actually, surprisingly, I, I'm not. I don't think it's overly bitter. I think. What was the, so? Walk us through what uh, what the recipe was. Okay, with that one, this one I actually don't have the recipe okay. here with me because uh, I was actually thought I was bringing a cider instead of. <laughs> So okay, but from what you can remember, let's. Do you remember uh, the malts roughly? I mean, you don't have yeah. Percent. So uh, th- I believe it was um, the Viking Pilsner malt, uh, Munich, uh, light Munich and dark Munich. Okay. Um, uh, light chocolate, and I think that's it as far as malts. What was the yeast? Uh, the yeast is actually uh, the Oslo Quike yeast. That's what I was uh, gonna guess. Yeah. Because it really has that character to it. Because well, yeah. what I was wondering, yeah, there's this, this not. Trying to think the best way to put this that's going to not sound weird to everybody, but it's roasted. Tangy? No, I was going to say roasted roasted butternut squash. Roasted yeah. butternut squash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does have, but doesn't have many esters, but it does have a kind of slight odd ester to it. Wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, you can you can really tell that it's quite yeast in there for sure. And so, with the quite, how much, how hard did you push the temperature? Um, this one was fermented about uh, 90, 95. Yeah. So now, given that it's 90, 95, I mean, it's relatively clean. At <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I agree. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is interesting because I do get that. I, I, I do, like I said, it's roasted butternut squash, which I think is a combination of some vegetable characters and uh, and a phenol or two. Um, it's not bad, but it just because it, it, it makes it very distinctive to the point where I almost wouldn't. I wouldn't guess that this is an Oktoberfest if you, unless you said it was an Oktoberfest. Yeah. <laughs> I would think this is more like, oh, I did a, I, I did a, 
a pumpkin brown. Yeah, right? a or, pumpkin or a quake amber. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. It's just, it's, it's interesting. It's very drinkable. Do not get me wrong about this. So, I yeah. mean... It's. I mean, are you enjoying the beer? Oh yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's. Just, it's definitely one of those ones that didn't quite. It went sideways and didn't turn out how I was expecting. <laughs> but it was also an Good. experiment too. So, aside from not drinking before weighing out the hops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and remember, both Denny and I uh, 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 preach the idea of no drinking until you're either done, which is what Denny yeah. does. Yeah. Or no no drinking until you've gotten everything sort of on the downslope and everything's clean and ready to go, and all you got to do is chill. Which is me. Yeah. Uh, what else would you change? Okay. So, yeah, as far as that, uh, the timing with that, that was actually about a week before I was getting prepped for it. So it wasn't even on brew day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the next time I, I would do this recipe is I'd actually want to switch over to that M54 yeast. Yeah. And see how right. that works sure. with it. Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of the testing the Oslo, the yep. kind of the uh, supposedly lager like qualities with it. Um, so it's kind it's of, like I was saying, man. People keep telling me about Quikies being clean, having vulgar-like yeah. qualities, and I have not encountered that myself yet. Yeah, I've yeah. had a couple that that are, but I think most of them aren't trying to push up in the ninety ninety five range for it. Yeah. I yeah. think they're I think they're operating a little bit more a little more restrained, like eighty. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that helps sort of keep some of it down. Yeah, and it also kind of I think depends on the strain too. You have certain ones like the Scari um, Quike. It actually operates down in like the 55, 60s, and mm-hmm. people are, I see a lot of people are getting some pretty good results though really? with it that way. So, how many strains of Quike did you tell me you had? I think I'm up to 26 right now. <laughs> good lord, <laughs> <laughs> that's like crazier than Drew. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can dry them and I can stick them in that uh, little cooler over there and carry them across country with me when I'm traveling. So <laughs> yeah, they, wow. they, they are hardy. Hardy little bugs. So, all right. So we're thinking a, a change up in yeast to go for more traditional yeast as opposed to quite anything else. Well, and, yeah. and of course the hop change. Yeah. Um, um, I think that'd probably be my first stop just to kind of see where it stood there and then yeah, figure out where I wanted to change it from there. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, like I said, if, if I were presenting this to people, I wouldn't say this is an oops Oktoberfest. <laughs> I, I would, I would say, here, try my spicy brown. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> spicy brown. I like it. Yeah. Like remember, half of half of brewing is trying to brew towards a target, and then realizing that you've missed the target, and just telling everybody that you did something else. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is how I intended it to be. <laughs> so, well, hey, yeah. I, I really appreciate you, you taking the time to bring us some beers here. This is fantastic. I love it when people bring yeah. us beers. I know, man. It, it's really interesting because it's like I was saying earlier. I'm kind of like locked into brewing what I know that I like. So yeah. when people bring us beers to taste, you get a chance to try some other stuff that's out there. So well, And get get ideas, get inspired, see what you what other people are doing that you might like or what you might not like in your case. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, Denny is grumpy at this way. Um, <laughs> I know what I like, man. I've spent, I've spent nearly 70 years figuring that out. <laughs> there you go. But I really do appreciate you taking the time to bring this here to us. And, and yeah, it's fun. Yep, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot, David. Uh, not a problem. Cheers. <laughs> Nice people, and man, are they into brewing. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, part of the reason why I like doing this stuff is I like being able to nerd out with people all over all over the place without their eyes glazing over. So these events are always so much fun to me because, yeah, we get to run around and, and meet people who are, well, as deeply weird as we are. <laughs> and, that, you know, what I really like is just sharing the joy that they have in brewing. I mean, these guys are totally into it and really enjoying it. And I have to admit that, when I talk to somebody with that kind of attitude, it, it kind of revitalizes me. You know, if I'm feeling a little bit cynical or burned out, 
it's like their excitement is infectious. It's the same thing like what you're talking about earlier. Like, you know, we're doing a lot of ingredient exploration and that's a lot of what I'm doing to fuel my, my brewing, my enjoyment right now. And yeah, but to go and meet other people who are having great fun in other ways, it's, it's illuminating. Right. It is. It is indeed. Okay. Time for one more break here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be tasting a beer that a listener left for us. And uh, unfortunately, he couldn't stick around until we got to tasting it. But uh, Drew and Annie and I did it and uh, gave him some feedback on the beer and some ideas for where we might want to go with it. So please stick around. We'll be right back. Are you having trouble finding enough time to homebrew and give attention to the other important things in your life? Is your newest brewed IPA experiment coming at the expense of other obligations? Don't neglect partner or pet. Brew with the Genesis Fermenter. Learn why at genesisfermenter.com and find them wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. Welcome back, everybody. Before we get to the part where we're tasting John's beer, we want to play a little bit of uh, interviews we did with some of the people there brewing that day. So uh, here we go with that. And these are uh, some of the people brewing and what they were brewing and how they were brewing it. So we are standing in the parking lot of Micro Homebrew, and there's brewing going on. What are you guys brewing? What are you brewing, Sean? I'm just watching. Sean. <laughs> uh, uh, pale Ale. Um, yeah, just uh, pretty straightforward pale ale with uh, some Azaka, uh, uh, Sabro, Centennial, and uh, Citra. And what size of pale ale are we going here? Oh, about uh, 4.9 ABV. Um, like, a real like a real pale ale. Yeah, not an imperial pale ale, extra, super high IPA, anything like that. Just standard pale ale. And not even like the strong pale ale. And I noticed that you're using a grandfather, yes. which, of course, I love. And But when you were unloading this this morning, you were uncertain, right? Yes. Um, I have not been the most consistent of brewers, so I think uh, the last time I brewed was probably here at the shop uh, six months ago or so. So it's been a little bit. Well, it's always good to have an excuse to remind you that you need to go brew. I do it all the time. I'm like, oh, I've got a party coming up. I've got to go brew. You know, and stop doing that. But it's it's perfect. So, and you're just where are you at now? You're heating up. Yeah, heating up the uh, uh, getting ready to mash in. Uh, we're trying to hit about 158. Uh, so it'll drop a little bit once we throw the grains in. Uh, mash in at about uh, 149. Awesome. Well, hey, good luck, and we'll revisit later. And, uh, yeah, it looks like the system's still working. It is. It is. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm not sure if that's a brew or a mummy. What do we got going on here, guys? The mash. <laughs> and what are we mashing today? Grains. I'm doing a celebration ale clone. Yeah. And I uh, got a little 15-gallon kettle here from Spike Brewing. Yeah. And so now when you wrap it up in this blanket, 
how I obviously that's to prevent temperature loss but like if you didn't have it wrapped and we're just standing out here right now how, how much do you think you'd be losing I'd probably well I'm shooting for 152 I'd probably get down to like maybe 148 or lower if I didn't have it wrapped because I'm doing brewing a bag and we lose some some thermal uh, action there so that's why it gets wrapped up and I stay pretty close I think hopefully well, there you go. Yeah, nothing like a little insulation to, to help out. And, of course, you, you get the advantage of, hey, i got a kettle. I can add some flame, so if I lose too much temperature. Yeah. Although, I, I, will, I will warn everybody, if you do that, make sure you take the blanket off first. Yeah, and raise your bag up, too, because you'll scorch it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one challenge with the brew in the bag is like, oh, yeah, that's right, this thing will burn. But still, uh, and you got... You got your grain in here now. What, what what hops did you choose for your celebration, Colin? Uh, well, I did nugget for bittering and a little bit of um, what is it, Centennial? Yeah, Centennial. There you go. So nice and classic. Yeah, you know, it's just uh, it's gonna taste just like Sierra Nevada, only a little better. Until <laughs> Ken, you said that. <laughs> Remember, folks, it's not homebrewing if there isn't just a little bit of uh, hubris involved. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, uh, it'll be great to see what what happens here. And of course, once the blanket comes off, uh, it'll be nice to see. You know, like, hey, you know, let's get that bag out of there and see what sort of wort we get. Yeah. Yeah. Let's All right. Back over. Check it out. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. So let's move on, shall we? Hey, guys, we're here to harass you. Oh, okay. So what what are we making today? Um, I'm doing a Czech Pilsner today, so I've actually never brewed outside. I usually do uh, this little boil kettle on my stovetop, but I'm mashing it at 150, add some boil water to do a step mash up to 155, and then I'm going to pull off some after another 20 minutes and try and boil it and do some sort of decoction and add it back in, so... Awesome, and yeah, just like the the previous crew over here, you're using some insulation to help hold on to your heat, yes. and you're not you're not doing a full five. Is this like three or two? Yeah, or? yeah I end up with three three gallons into the fermenter. So uh, yeah, it, it, work, it works for for my setup. Usually I'm doing you know stovetop, so it makes sense for me. But I got the cooler just because I'm not used to how cold it is outside. This is my first time brewing outside, so. Yeah. Well, welcome to the party. <laughs> and I know so you you've come armed with all the tools, including your your pH kit there. Oh, yeah. So when you're making a pilsner, how important do you find it to to watch over your pH? Um, I'm still dialing dialing in pHs, but obviously I'm trying to hit you know a bit lower lower pHs on the the paler beers. Um, yeah, making sure to have soft water too. It's a little bit harder balancing that when you don't have any buffering capacity in there. So trying to, to watch my numbers closely yeah all right well good luck how much longer do you have on the mash um i have about 15 minutes left at this temp and then i'm going to try the decoction for 20 minutes so uh, denny he's doing a decoction how do you feel if he wants to do it go right ahead as long as i don't have to <laughs> i'm not using it to hit a different temperature i'm i'm, I'm basically done with my mash temp at at, at my decoction time, so I'm just decocting to get the melanoidins, not actually using it to hit a higher temperature. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, sir, and we'll be back later checking on your progress. All right, thank you. All right, and now it's time for us to actually go do what we need to do and brew our own beer. So check in with us later. 
And now we get into the part where we're tasting a listener beer that was brought to Micro Homebrew. Uh, John had to leave before we got around to tasting his beer, so we couldn't really ask him any questions. I think there are some questions in the interview that we asked him to write in about. So uh, if you're listening, John, please do that. And uh, you got anything to to add to that, Drew? No, it just uh, you know, again, it was fun to try you know yet another beer, and this one was different as well. Yeah, it really was, and uh, I think we all had – John had brought the beer and said that he felt like there was something missing in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, without knowing anything about the recipe or being able to talk to him about it, we just kind of made some guesses at what he might have meant by that and what he uh, might possibly do about it in the future. So uh, kick back, relax, and here's the final segment from Micro Homebrew in Kenmore, Washington. Annie is back with us again, and we're about to taste a mango passion fruit kettle sour that listener John Miles brought in. Uh, John had to leave before we're tasting, so he won't actually be here. Uh, I guess theoretically that means, ooh. Ooh, almost took out your chin. <laughs> that, almost, that almost took out my nose. I would say it's carbonated. I would. And John had actually specifically brought this because he was thinking that there was something lacking. Yeah, and he Mm. was wondering if we could identify what this beer is missing. So again, passion fruit, mango, kettle, sour. sour. That's right. All right, so everybody, here we go. Mm. Got nice clarity, good little carbonation on it. Yeah. A little low head, but not not a lot. Yeah, I, I would say that it's, you know, clarity is like not real clear, but doesn't have to be. No, but I mean, it's not super hazy, so... All right, so first things I get, um, definitely that big passion fruit mango nose. I was going to say, I'm, I'm definitely getting the passion fruit right away. Big passion fruit. Yeah, the mango's back there, that little bit of vegetal thing I often get from mango in, in beers. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, uh, that's uh, tart. Yeah, very tart. Well, it's Bet- interesting because... Between the- passion fruit and kettle sour, it just has to be tart. Well, it's interesting because it doesn't... Like, when you first take the, the sip of it, you don't get an immediate sourness. It's like after it hangs on the tongue for about a half a second, then suddenly it's like, sour. And it becomes, it becomes less lacticky and more uh, citric as it goes on. You know what I get? It immediately remind me of... The can Lipton iced tea. Oh, really? I, I don't think I've ever had that. So. I mean, I'm getting the mm-hmm. the tea, mm-hmm. but specifically that brand. Wow. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the, yeah, no, yeah. Or the freeze dried Lipton iced tea. You well, mix and with. also that that lemon crystally flavor. That that's it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is the reason why I'm saying it goes it goes more citric than lactic. Which and normally I think with kettle sours you go very lactic. Yeah. Right. Um. When I first had my first sip, I thought it tasted salty, but I'm not getting that now. Mm-mm. No, and uh, I'm trying to think. I, I actually think the the biggest challenge with this one to me is is the fact that, yeah, I mean, when you get down to the finish, I mean, one, the sourness is very clean, but the sourness is very, very dominant by the time you get to the, uh, to yeah, the final right. flavor. To the point where, I mean, I haven't had a sip now for, you know, a good 30 seconds. But it's and, still lingering. Yeah, there. that sourness is still yeah, hanging in yeah, there. Yeah, So let's let's say John says there's something missing, and since he's not here, we can't really ask him about that. John, when you hear this, write in and tell us exactly what you meant by something missing. It's a heavy oxidation note in them. 
Is there? Lingers. You're going to have kind of that, that honey? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't taste it until it's a f- very end. I'm just trying to think. It's. I like it, though. I love the aroma. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right up front. I mean, it's it reads exactly on the nose what you'd expect. Yeah. Mango and passion fruit. You know, more passion fruit than mango. But, um, yeah, the, I think my problem with it is that when you get down to the to the back end of the beer, it's just all that one note. Right. It's it's that one note that hangs out there, and it's just. I mean, and that can often be a, a, an issue with kettle sours yes. too. You know. Um, I I yes, they are very one note. So how would you how would you suggest fixing this then? Like, or what would you do if this was your beer, Denny? Boy, that is a really good question. I know, knowing that fruited kettle sours are not your thing. Yeah, well, and, and I don't know what he used to sour it, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe a different souring agent. Uh, passion fruit being very tart, mm-hmm. he may need to moderate the amount of passion fruit that he's using. Or moderate the amount of sourness that he's generating. Yeah, right. One, one or the other, you know, because they, they kind of just reinforce each other, and it may be, like, over the top right now. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he used the, the good belly. Yeah, the, just the, the simple probiotic solution? Yeah, a yeah. lot of, of breweries and... People seem to be using that. Well, because yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it does have a number of different lactobacillus style cultures in it, mm-hmm. and it is relatively inexpensive, say, in comparison to say buying a a big batch of uh, lactobacillus from one of the yeast companies. I think, for me, I like the fruit character in it. Right. I want yeah. more in yeah. the end, and I, and I'm not as much of a fan of the sour character. In it. Right. So what I would probably, yeah, what I would want to see more mango. No, yeah. That's more mango. I'd like more mango personally. I'm also not a big mango person, but that's that's my own predilection. What I would really like to see is I'd like to see the the, the fruit character held up at the level that it's at, and pull that back on sourness down a little bit. So maybe a little less aggressive in the kettle souring. Mm. Like, I'd be curious to see how many hours this was held. Right. You know, with the culture. See, you know, because obviously more time, more more lactic uh, more lactic acid. And I think what we're getting is we're getting all that lactic acid in the middle, and then we're getting citric acid in the finish from right. the fruit. And so I think you could back a lot off the lactic and allow that citric to really kind of play your your main star in the in the souring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or uh, a bunch of crystal. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really mean that, John. But please write in. Tell us. Tell us what your recipe is and how you made this beer, because it would be a lot easier to uh, to give you suggestions if we knew what you did, as opposed to sounding like idiots and telling you to do something you're already doing. Well, I wonder if like, maybe a little more chloride, like a little chloride in the water. It's very thin. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, if, I think, isn't that typical for a kettle sour? I know, but I'm thinking just for this one, if you want to if you want to make this feel like a more rich experience, like yeah, to to have that. Back in support, right. I think maybe a little chloride in there would also help you well, know, bump up some of the perception. So, John, here's a suggestion: <laughs> try pouring the glass and adding just a tiny pinch of calcium chloride to your glass, and see what you think about that. Uh, that's a really good way mm-hmm. to uh, to test and assess water additions. I mean, gypsum and calcium chloride—it's easy to do that with. However, don't do that with chalk. 
<laughs> no, don't do that with chalk. If we were just, if we all just were having a discussion about the difficulties of chalk and beer. Yeah, earlier. right, right. So, don't do that. But um, I would say, for my taste, John, and it's like what really matters is your taste. Mm-hmm. For my taste, I would say that this beer is about seventy-five percent there. Uh, I, you know, when you say there's something missing, I don't know if you mean missing or something just not quite right about mm-hmm. it. Uh, so that's that's why we need to hear from you and uh, and let us know what it is exactly that you think this beer needs. Yep. I think it's opening up a little bit as it gets warmer. Mm-hmm. But but no, I, 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 I see where he's, there's there is a hole. Well, again, I think the hole is there's just no there's no mid palate support. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. that's it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I mean, you know, basically, once you get past that initial fruit character, everything goes acid, and then there's nothing to kind of help carry you through to the finish, and it just goes high acid the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I think if you've got more mid support, reduce the lactic character just a little bit. That fruit would come up a little bit more. You'd have a little bit more of that body, and then you'd be able to actually have an actual flavor evolution as you're going. Mm. So that's okay. my suggestion. All right, John. I hope that that was helpful to you. And please shoot us an email and let's talk, buddy. Ta-da, John. I hope you were able to make heads or tails of that and maybe take some useful info away from it. And if not, at least you know come away with more questions that you can send us so that we can hopefully yeah. do something useful. Yeah, right. And uh, if we were totally off the mark, then you can uh, also write in and tell us that uh, we had no concept of what we were actually talking about. And we won't be offended because we get that all the time. (laughs) Absolutely. I guess it's time to get out of here. So thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack homebrew channel. I spend a whole bunch of my time over on the AHA forum uh, discussing beer with people. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to talk to each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And, of course, you can always leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1AL. And don't forget, we have the Q&A episode coming up, so please get your questions into us one way or the other. Until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. (laughs) 